Welcome to Energy Matters, where we explore alternative health in the Pioneer Valley. I'm your host, Caroline Rutterman, and I'm a Reiki professional and intuitive in Northampton, Massachusetts. For the past nine years, I've been teaching people how to use their intuition and helping them reduce stress and anxiety. Together, we'll talk with other practitioners and learn how they bring health and healing to the Pioneer Valley. Let's do this. Hey, welcome, welcome everyone. You are listening to Energy Matters and I am your host, Caroline Rutterman, and we have a great show for you today. We are here interviewing Jamie Roncon, who is the owner of the Healing Tree Health and Wellness Center, and she's a health and wellness navigator, a cancer thriver, and welcome, Jamie. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, I feel the same way. I'm so glad that we're, we're getting a chance to sit down. Um, so, so Jamie, tell us a little bit about who you are and, and what you do in the Pioneer Valley. Okay. Um, so I have um, had Healing Tree uh, Health and Wellness Center here in East Hampton um, for about five years now. Um, and I started my business, uh, Healing Tree uh, Massage and Body Work in East Hampton as far back as 2003. Um, and I think it was actually shortly thereafter that I had met you. Um, but I've been practicing in the area as uh, a massage and body worker. I've um, been trained in lymph drainage therapy and craniosacral therapy and oncology massage and um, all of those things. And um, and I run and operate a wellness center. And now I am um, doing health and life coaching along with I am now a daring to rest yoga nidra facilitator. So. Uh, it's keeping me pretty busy. Very cool. I, I have been really getting into the yoga nidra a lot lately. So that's exciting that you're that you're kind of diving into that world as well. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's been a huge uh, part of what I do. Uh, and I actually have a in person live rest cave, um, which we could talk about, but um, that unfortunately has not been possible to to bring live with COVID, but, um, but I do have that going on too. And I've just been working virtually with that. So tell, tell us a little bit about what, um, what is the, the yoga nidra, what is yoga nidra and, and what is the, the daring to rest, uh, kind of program that's wrapped around that? So yoga nidra itself is a sleep based meditation. And, um, I do get a lot of people start to tell me, well, I've never done yoga and they start telling me about their shoulder pain or this or that. And, um, and I have to quickly redefine that yoga nidra is actually conscious sleeping. Um, it gets into deep into the subconscious and um, it is literally laying down to rest and you're guided through a meditation. Um, the way that it differs a little bit from regular mindfulness meditation or transcendental meditation is that it does go into many, many of the different wavelengths in the brain. And so even if you fall asleep during yoga nidra, it's um, been shown that it still works on you. So it's just a way to bring you to a completely uh, restful state where your body can heal. Um, so that is the biggest thing and daring to rest, uh, came for me actually as part of my cancer journey 
and having people tell me that I needed to lay down and rest, needed to lay down and rest. And, and you're like, uh, what does friend, that mean? <laughs> right, right. I've always been a hard worker. I've been, you know, taking care of others, uh, being a healer and a mom and managing all of those pieces. And I didn't quite understand what it meant to rest truly. And a friend recommended a book, Daring to Rest, uh, by Karen Brody. And so the method that I became a trained um, certified facilitator for is the daring to rest method. And the reason I was drawn, so there's kind of with the tree of yoga, you have different types of yoga, um, whether it's Hatha yoga, Iyengar, all the different parts of the trees of yoga. Same with yoga nidra, there's different schools out there um, kind of putting their own spin on things. And my teacher, uh, the draw for me was that she was wanting to start a rest revolution for well-rested women. And she had her own story around trauma. Um, and for me, what I started realizing with cancer is that there are lots of traumas um, that can go on. And I started describing them as medical traumas and little microbursts of traumas on a daily basis, whether it's anxiety, as we say, or you're worried about cancer coming back, all of these different pieces. And what I realized is that yoga nidra can work very deeply with areas of trauma, and it can help soothe and calm anxiety. Um, and it works in many other ways too. people who have sleep issues, um, and all of those things. But what I realized when I would lay down is that it was the first time I was not being asked to do anything. It was the first time I could find solace deep within myself and be with my own voice and my own, um, my own answers on what I needed to heal. So for me, it was uh, a huge practice and it still is a practice. There's still days that I'm, I don't do great with rest. <laughs> so uh, I, but I do, I say now, whenever I'm really struggling to find an answer for something, then I say, take it to the rest, go lay down, take it to the nap. <laughs> and, um, and I just, I give that over knowing that my truth and the answer lies deep within me. And when I lay down, I give it opportunity to surface. So um, overall though, the short answer is that yoga nidra is a sleep-based meditation. And Jamie, wh what is it about rest that feels scary? Or like, what is it that scares you about rest? Or that maybe previously scared you about rest? Um, well, I come from definitely a maternal line of hardworking women. Um, and I think often we have stories around rest um, and what's modeled for us. So my mother and my grandmother were really hardworking women. And it was always running around to make sure everyone was taken care of, that everything was okay, that everyone was fed and clothed. And, you know, so I, I think I kind of carried on those traits and, I had my own stories and beliefs around if you stop, then, you know, you might be seen as lazy or, um, you know, there's always been something you should be doing, somebody you should be helping. And I was 
um, of the belief that laying down and actually resting meant that you were selfish or uh, lazy. So that was really my story around rest. And um, so, and it was also very difficult because I find that once I started resting and stopping, it meant that I needed to be vulnerable to receiving, to receiving not just from other people, but receiving the voice within myself, which would help guide me in what it was that I actually needed. I think that sometimes we're so used to being on the hamster wheel and of life and doing everything the way that we think we should be doing it, that we think others think that we should be doing it. And we're, uh, I think we're worried um, about really saying what it, what our truth is and what it is that we need and want. And we're not taught how to ask for that, especially in, you know, and I found that even all of my years being a healer, that I was always available to be very present and very grounded with all of my clients. And yet I wasn't getting enough rest and recuperation for myself. So what what was the final straw for you that made you feel like, okay, this is the rest is I like I I need to go to the rest. I need to like tap into these these kind of restful awarenesses and what was what was the final straw for you that like really made you start diving into those practices? Um <laughs> the final straw for me was when I realized that it actually works. <laughs> The irony, um, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so as a healer, and you may resonate with this, um, you know, you try and put as many tools in your tool bag that resonate with you because the goal is always to help people. It's always to help others. And so when Daring to Rest came about, even though I had a friend saying, you need to receive and rest yourself. I still was approaching it. In fact, when I first got um, the book, um, it was the first time my teacher was teaching an academy and starting to run a program to teach others to lead Yoga Nidra. And so I went into it as student, as this is another thing that is going to help so many people. <laughs> and I was convinced this is going to help so many people, especially in the cancer world. People have trouble resting. There's anxiety. There's all of these things. And so I went into it with that perspective that, um, as I always do, gaining more knowledge so that I could then help others. Um, and it was pretty deep into the program. I went through initial becoming a facilitator, and then I trained even further to become certified. And, and with that, I remember even my teacher saying, like, you first, you need to rest first. And I remember a conversation with her, my teacher and mentor, and I said, I can't believe how well this works. <laughs> and we were um, talking about it because I finally had my own response, like a true visceral response where I was actually laying down and I actually felt 
the effects of it. And once I felt it in my body, it was no longer just knowing it in my mind and in my head as something that was useful for others. It became from my own resources within me to know that it was useful and helpful because it was helping me. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. And so if you're just tuning in, we're chatting with Jamie Roncone, who is the owner of the Healing Tree Health and Wellness Center in East Hampton. Um, And and Jamie, can you tell us a little bit about um, you call yourself a cancer thriver? Um, What is what does that mean? Like, how, how do you understand that term? Sure. Uh, So Cancer Thriver came to me after I started resting in um, one of my what we call soul whispers. Um, So it's kind of and a soul whisper is essentially just, you know, when you're in that quiet, restful state, you can hear whispers from within. Um, And it came to me one day. Um, Because when I was first diagnosed with cancer, the word, the big word out there is I'm a cancer uh, survivor. And I personally just fought that term. And I'm not sure why I didn't have an exact reason until I started to realize for me, it felt like a lot of the words that are out there around cancer are kill, fight, survive. And all of that terminology and language just didn't resonate in my body. It didn't, it didn't make me personally feel strong. It made me feel exhausted, which is why I think the answer for Thriver came out during my rest, because that terminology just felt disempowering for me personally. And I know that so many people feel empowered by it. Um, But I think it's important to say that by this time that I came to Cancer Thriver was that I went from uh, an early, an earlier stage diagnosis of breast cancer within a year later um, after surgery um, coming into a stage four metastatic breast cancer diagnosis, which in a very short snippet for those that don't know, Um, There is no cure for metastatic breast cancer, and you are in constant treatment for the rest of your life. So that's important to mention because a lot of people are saying, oh, are you done with your treatment? (laughs) No, I'm always being treated because there's no cure. Um, So I think during that time is when I woke up one day saying, I'm not a cancer survivor. I am a cancer thriver. And what that did for me personally, and again, I think this is this is important to note here that language is very personal and it comes from one's own journey themselves. Um, so for me, thriver felt like I'm living. And even though I have cancer in my body, I can't change that right now. And the goal is to keep it at bay from taking over. And I realize I can still thrive with cancer in my body. And so for me, it became about putting more accent on living with the cancer and thriving and being healthy regardless of the cancer. Um, So that's really for me where it 
became prominent. And then, of course, after you have your own aha moment and this happens, then all of a sudden, everywhere I looked, I see I see the word thrive. You know, people who have different nutrition businesses or this or that thrive, the word just like pops out at you like a neon sign everywhere. But the initial conversation happened from within me uh, where that came from. So I believe that that's um, it is a personal process and it depends on where you are on, on that, uh, where you are in time, where you are in your diagnosis, where you are in the process. And I think the language changes for people. And, you know, I, I know that there's a lot of disempowerment in traditional medical care. Um, you know, like how, and you talked about how you really, um, the word thrive and thriver instead of survivor um, have had reframed it, and it's very personal. Um, how, how do people really respond with the reframing of, of the language around cancer, especially around this, this particular word? How do people respond to you? And they're like, cancer thriver, I love that. Or, you know, do they like have a funny look on their face? Or what's what's the response from from people? I think because it's not as mainstream, that people more have a question um, and want definition. Um, And I think so. This is where there can be a split, I feel like there is and so this was and this is coming from my own personal journey so i just want to preface with that that for me when i switched from breast cancer diagnosis to metastatic diagnosis for me it was a trajectory that changed everything Because when you get that diagnosis, so we have this idea, especially in this culture, that if you get a breast cancer diagnosis, in fact, I was told with my initial breast cancer diagnosis, oh, you're lucky it's this type because it's very treatable. Um, This is the good kind to have. (laughs) And um, And not really, you're wanting to hear... I'm sorry. And they're already creating a dichotomy between like good and right. bad and like you're at an advantage versus at a disadvantage, all that. Exactly. Kind of. So, and what that kind of starts to rob from you immediately is, so should I not be scared? Should I not be angry? Should I not have all of the emotions that I need to have to process my own diagnosis? Um, so that is there. And, but what there is with all of the, survivorship and there's definitely a community and a structure there that can be very helpful but where I feel like it can be damaging is that when you have initial diagnosis there's more hope of surviving when you receive a metastatic breast cancer diagnosis it just changes the storyline where you're like okay there's no cure. And therefore, there's not hope of one day I have cancer and then I don't. It is, okay, how do I now learn to live with this in my body? And what things do I do to live with cancer and make peace with that? Um, 
And so it's just a different, and what I always say is that for me, it was like a different psychosocial, emotional piece that I had to then go through. And it did bring up another um, level of, it not only came up with another level of my own emotions and fears and facing mortality and being a younger woman with children still at home and um, it really, uh, it destroyed my hope of survival. Um, and I had to come to, uh, a new place. And the important part for me with the, I mean, for me, the most disempowering piece of conventional medical model is that the way I received my stage for diagnosis was definitely not ideal. And I won't get into details on that here. Um, but the other pieces that I found with my, I said, I remember saying to my husband that if I was going to do the drugs and the things that I needed to do with metastatic breast cancer, I had to do the medicine that was important to me, which is completely not conventional. Um, I, I do a whole slew of things. Um, but what it meant for me is finding a naturopathic oncologist. And yes, they do exist, not just a naturopath, um, but a naturopathic oncologist who would work with me and get an oncologist. And this was not easy. It took a lot of time and effort to negotiate and learn how to advocate for myself and what it was I needed to get a team of people working together to help support my body and having the choice that knowing the, what these drugs are doing to my system, having something to help offset that and bring my body into healthy balance. Now, you know, we all have to redefine for ourselves what is health. I figure for me, the fact that I'm uh, generally healthy and that people look at me and don't believe that I have stage four metastatic breast cancer because I look generally healthy. To me, that's a win. It's because uh, I am each day working to offset and balance and meet that place of homeostasis. And that means across the board in not only my medical care, but also in my emotional care and in all of the things that I do around thriving, being healthy and living my best life with what time I'm here. So, yeah. So, so Jamie, tell me a little bit about, um, about, so you're a health and wellness navigator, kind of given all your kind of, um, a lot of the journey with your, like with your cancer diagnosis, the, the multiple cancer diagnoses, um, what is a, what is a health and wellness navigator? So the truth is that a health and wellness navigator is my term and, um, something that I came to on my own. I don't know about anyone else, but I often get my biggest moments of inspiration in the shower. Something about the water, I don't know, but I do get a lot of inspiration in the shower and it often leads to me running wet through my house to write something down or 
um, before I forget it. And that was really how Health and Wellness Navigator came about for me. And it was really from, so I was talking a little bit about the differences in diagnoses with early breast cancer versus late stage breast cancer. And with my original original, like uh, my first (laughs) cancer diagnosis, the first one, um, they have what's called in the cancer world. And I realized shortly thereafter that this is in the cancer world, specifically breast cancer, because I've talked to many people with different types of cancer where they have not had this service, but they have what's called a nurse navigator. And essentially what happens is that you have a nurse navigator who helps orient you to the fast track of treatment that they are going to offer you when you get a breast cancer diagnosis. And that's anything from um, helping you figure out financially, insurance, who to talk to, whether you're going to talk to a social worker. Um, They help lay out the plan of uh, treatment options and all of those things. So essentially, they're your go-to for questions on what it is you're doing. And it really helps you navigate this big, scary system because when you get a diagnosis, You're obviously um, not thinking very straight. It's uh, very emotional. And um, so when I found that this uh, was a service that was offered, after I came through my whole treatment process of initial breast cancer, I came out of everything where you're supposed to be having hope and all of those things. And I was suddenly dealing with anxiety and panic and depression like I had never experienced before in my life. And so I went back to the, uh, you know, the doctor's office and I said, well, what do I do? And at that point, I feel like all I was offered was medications for sleep or for anxiety or for those types of things. And I didn't want to go that route. And so what had occurred to me is that I've spent over 20, well, now over 20 years, at the time it was about 15 years, um, working with people as a healer and helping them determine it's always been um, the reason I have my wellness center is that I've always had a dream of a community of healers who all have different um, gifts and traits and things that will best serve each individual client. So way back when, if you'd come to me for a massage and I wasn't getting where I wanted to get, Um, for your healing, I might recommend that you see uh, an acupuncturist or a chiropractor or someone else that I felt was going to take you further along in your healing. And so after I got through this portion of my journey and I felt like I had no one to help me navigate these new waters with my cancer... I had to start doing that myself. And then especially when I uh, had metastatic breast cancer diagnosis, it became absolutely essential for me to navigate these waters, fight for what I wanted, and really learn how to articulate, advocate, 
to talking to my insurance companies to getting some, and I've had insurance companies tell me that I made more sense than the doctor's offices. And it's really because I had to educate myself and learn and resource, find resources for myself. So fast forward to the day in the shower, I all of a sudden it hit me when I was choosing not to go back to doing massage work. I lit up and said, well, oh my gosh, all of, all of my life I've been acting as a health and wellness navigator, helping people navigate the waters on what healing modalities in the non-conventional medicine field help them find what's best going to serve them in their own healing process. And that is different for every person. Of course. Um, so that's really where that name came about. And so that's when I chose to become a health coach and life coach. And for me, we talked about earlier words that have to resonate for you personally. They have to be from your own um from the inside. And for me, coach just doesn't, didn't resonate with me. I didn't see myself as a coach. I saw myself as someone who's holding a safe, creating a container where people can discover within themselves. It's a safe place to discover their own voice and what it is that they want to do for their own healing. And it's not for me to decide what the right thing for them is, but just to hold that space and then to give ideas and options that are out there. And so that's where the health and wellness navigator came in for me is helping people on the other side in choosing what things they want to do for healing. And that could be anything from choosing what type of um, treatment or um, added things that they uh, put into their their medicine pocket. Like I said, I do a slew of things with my um, with the advice of my naturopathic oncologist, and so helping just kind of find what it is that they need for healing. It's not about, um, you know, and people do ask me sometimes, what is it that you're doing? And that's why I don't stress on that here because that's what works for me. And it's what I believe in and what is true to me doesn't mean that it's going to be true for the next person. And in the world too, of a lot of people trying to um, give you prevention and give you cure for cancer. I've had people offer me, you know, out of out of a good place, want to bring me more information on how to cure cancer. And, um, and I have to remind them I'm, you know, beyond prevention, A, and B, I'm stage four. So um, it's, it's a, just a different game. And, um, and it's a different so that, game when you're living it versus when somebody's just bringing it to you being like, hey, like I read this thing and it sounds cool and exciting and you're battling a whole range of emotions on top of taking care of your family. And, you right. know, like it's, it's yeah, it's a lot easier for, for people to kind of well-meaning information versus. Well, which, yes, and that is part of the work I do now. And that's why it's important to me because, again, you have well-intentioned um, you know, and I've had a lot of people actually approach me and ask me questions if they're a caregiver and they have a loved one that has cancer. So I also work from that realm because I can give them the perspective as someone with cancer um, and help guide them in what it is to say, how to say it, what to do, because they're well-intentioned and they're scared too. They're scared of losing a loved one. It's hard to watch someone you love go through pain. And so you get into this mode 
of wanting to save somebody. Um, and so those, I believe, are all natural. And at the same time, when you're the person sitting with the cancer, you're working so hard to filter your own feelings and your own emotions that this just becomes another piece that you have to filter um, filter out is people and, you know, coming, coming to a place of knowing that they're well-intentioned, but this is where I help people learn how to have boundaries and learn how to have the language um, needed to redirect uh, people who are misguided or who are draining them emotionally. Because when you're a cancer uh, patient, it's hard to play both sides. It's hard to uh, play the side of filtering and taking care of the caregiver <laughs> and your own needs. So it's it's a lot. So Jamie, what is a what does a typical Thrive session look like with you? Somebody comes in, they're either a caregiver or um, for somebody who is is dealing with cancer or some serious health stuff, um, or they're um, they're they've gotten a diagnosis. Um, what is, what does a typical session look like with you? Well, what I could guarantee you is that a typical session uh, session is not typical at all. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> because yeah, it is. It is so personal, right? Um, because essentially, so I am a transformational coach, and I do this whole health and wellness navigator piece that I talked about. And what's always important to me is to uh, really help those with some sort of diagnosis, or even like I said, the caregiver, helping them to find their own voice. And what that really means is um, asking a lot of questions and then holding the space for them to process. And that might also be part of what I might recommend is laying down to rest first, because part of the way, and so I'm I'm in the middle of actually designing a program that combines both things, the Daring to Rest Yoga Nidra work, which I call Rest to Heal is my program. Um, and that came from my cancer and working with the rest. And then combining that with the coaching, um, because so many people are up in their head in their uh, in the construct of what they're being told of what they should be doing uh, conventionally or otherwise, and um, and so the idea being that when you lay down and rest, you're starting to hear your own voice, um, and it doesn't mean that you're not going to do the things that people are recommending, but you're coming to that. Uh, whatever is being offered to you from a place that is from within and you essentially are agreeing to it with your own body. So I may start with people with just learning how to lay down and rest um, to begin with um, so that they can start to have a flow of their own voice and their own answers. Um, and like I said earlier on, I'm not here to tell people what to do. I'm helping them to discover what it is that they need to do for their own healing, whatever that is. Perfect example of this that doesn't have to make sense to anyone else. One of the examples that I'll give is when I was trying to put together my whole support team and care plan and all of the things that I'm doing from supplementation to infrared sauna to hyperbaric chamber, all the things 
and metastatic breast cancer, mine showed up first in my left hip bone. So it was in my bone. I got my own inner voice that said, well, nutrient, you need nourishment, deep, deep nourishment that gets into the bones. Why don't you start drinking bone broth? Okay, I knew of bone broth. I never really drank bone broth. I never got onto the hype of bone broth. And, you know, there are bone broth, you know, bars that you can go to around the world now and things like that. But I just had a deep inner knowing that it was nourishment that I needed from bone broth, whether or not it was proven or scientific or made sense to anyone else. The fact that it felt nourishing to me and was not harming me, it is a win-win because even if it may not be, you know, changing the course of my cancer, it gave me a moment of nourishment for myself and a pause on um, on that. So accenting that thriving piece as opposed to just surviving. Um, so that's, you know, how I would work with someone and not disengage because whatever it is that they are wanting to do doesn't make sense. My goal is to help people also uh, ask the questions of their doctors and find the answers and, um, you know, not always just take what's being told to them to do. So it becomes an ongoing um, conversation, learning how to uh, do that sort of thing if you're in the whole diagnosis stage. And then the other piece is, like I said, I have dealt a lot with anxiety and with um panic and some depression. And I did get away with avoiding any uh, conventional medication. Um, so for me, it's also about the putting your life back together after you've gone through the diagnosis, the treatment, what I call kind of the, the sprinting, the adrenaline rush of getting through all of that to where you wake up one day, and this is kind of how this work came about for me, you wake up and you're feeling alone and isolated. No one hears you, nobody sees you, and you're not quite sure how to put your life back together and how to start putting one foot in front of the other. Um, so that's where my real passion wor and work comes in, is being in that place and supporting people in that place so that they can find their own way back out. Hmm. Sounds like you're you're doing some very um, intuitive work in a in a really challenging time for people's lives. Yes, yes, and that's um, you know, and that's and if we can say that there is a little for me, one of the silver linings of this pandemic has been that, like I said, I've been a massage and body worker for 20 years. And what this has really deepened in me is the opportunity to work with people in a much deeper intuitive way, because I'm having to work differently. I'm used to gaining insight through my hands with clients. And now I'm being forced to listen 
listen to tone, listen to someone's voice, and try to start to pick up on the cues of what's going on for them in a di- through a different sensory receiving from my end. So it has been um, quite an experience. And it's been a gift for me because I feel like it's a part of me that I have hidden for a very long time. Can't stay hidden forever. No, <laughs> people find you. <laughs> yep, absolutely. So and and what is what does your business look like in the during the pandemic during COVID-19? What are what are things? Uh, how are how are you doing business right now? So like everyone else, I've had to pivot in um, many ways. And um, so this wellness center has been a dream of mine. And, you know, I reached that and I've got uh, multi-practitioners in the building. And, you know, when we were shut down by the state, everyone had to pivot. Um, so I do have some practitioners that are working from home. Um, I am grateful that I do the coaching piece. So I've been able to go virtual with that. Um, and I'm also able to do the yoga nidra virtually. So I've been doing uh, continued classes um, for like the cancer connection, for instance, because that is something that is uh, very close to my heart. They've uh, I've had a lot of their services. And so giving back in that way uh, through Cancer Connection has been important. So I'm still able to work with people either one-to-one or in a group dynamic virtually for me personally. And um, so that has been really great. Uh, as far as the wellness center itself, you know, it's just been a really hard time in deciphering what's safe when it's safe, even though the state is opening up for close contact workers, there's a lot more, um, a lot more to look at with the kind of work for like massage, for instance, there's just so much more information um, out there to try and keep people safe. So it's been definitely testing my patience. Um, It's (laughs) definitely been a thing for me that I still come to my wellness center. And as I told all the practitioners, I will continue to come here to clean and cleanse and water the plants and, you know, breathe life into this building to be ready for them whenever they're wanting to come back. So I do have a few uh, new people in the interim to, um, you know, fill some spaces that are ready to come back. Um, And I've also opened up my doors for people to think outside the box, whether it's, you know, somebody, a body worker who's always wanted to do some sort of online video filming of technique or something like that, that, um, you know, I do have a rentable space that they could do that if they have dogs and kids and things like that at home, as do I. Of course, yeah. That the homework, uh, the home office is is a challenge for a lot of a lot of folks, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, so you ha- kind of have a, a little bit of an in between, and and you just you just published um, some work, right? On with your story, can you tell us a little bit about um, about the the recent publishing? Yeah. So, uh, I published a piece in a collection um, of stories of thirty women in. A book series and this particular book title is Women Who Rise and uh, the 
title of my story in there is Finding My Voice. And that goes a lot deeper into kind of this, everything that we've talked about today, kind of how I started doing the work that I'm doing and why it's become essential and important to me, that whole idea of, you know, finding my voice and then learning how to actually speak and articulate my voice and then, um, and then advocating for myself. It was kind of, for me, a three-step process, all very involved that I make it sound easy when I say, oh, it's just a three-step process, <laughs> but we're talking, you know, conglomeration of many years. And um, so that is uh, published in that book. And, um, and I'm very proud to put that out there uh, because it is actually, you know, it's interesting when you write your own story there's a lot of stuff that comes up around that. Um, a, the public, you're under the public eye, what people might think, um, and all of that commotion. But I also found that I ended up going through my own transformation and catharsis in writing that story. And so I feel like the work that I'm really doing is helping people. I'm trying to inspire in people to find their own story because when we wake up every day, right, we really are writing our story every day. We have choices every day that we make and all of those choices lead to our story. And so for me, I love creating the space for people to you know, start walking the path and walking the story that they want in their life each day. So, and it's not necessarily my story. So it's waking up people's story that is already within them and just how do we proceed and move forward um, to live the story that we want to be living. And, and Jamie, how can, how can people find you? What's the easiest way that people, if they're curious about your, um, your published work and, um, and the Thrive Sessions and the Wellness Navigator and all, all the kind of encompassing um, that you do, what, how can, what's the easiest way for people to get in touch? The easiest way is probably my website, and that is HealingTreeHealthAndWellness.com, HealingTreeHealthAndWellness.com. And um, from there, they can sign up or reach out to me. The email goes directly to me. And, um, and I also do have a page within that website that has my contact information, email and otherwise. So that's probably just the quickest and easiest way. All right. And, and Jamie, do you have any last words of wisdom that you would like to throw out into the universe? I guess two things. One is that... I don't expect others to be my story. I want each individual to realize that they are their own story and welcome the courage to stand up and choose their own story and that there are options and that you do have choices. Um, That for me was really important for me to learn. Um, And then One other one I'll share that came to me, I can't remember if it was shower or walking the other day. Sometimes I come up with these things walking as well. But the idea that, um, you know, I have heard more people say to me recently that I'm inspiring. And I started thinking about that a lot. What does it mean to be inspiring? What does that mean? And 
what I realized is that it's great to be inspired, but that also can come with a lot of pressure. And so what I realized is that where for me, the true inspiration is, is when inspiration becomes action. So if we are inspired, sometimes we separate ourselves from what we're inspired by. And when you connect and, and find your own inspiration to put things into action, when you start taking that action, that's when it becomes your own doing. And um, so I guess the idea for me is inspiration is great. Um, and it's even better when we act on it and, uh, and live in our own inspiration. And so that's what I strive to do with my clients through the coaching. Beautiful. What else was I going to say? Oh, yeah. And I also do have a podcast. Uh, so if, if people are podcast listeners, you can pretty much go to Apple or Google or anywhere you download your favorite podcast. And you can just type in the Energy Matters podcast. And this episode will be up uh, next Friday. So um, so definitely check that out. Um, and, and thank you again so much, Jamie, for for sharing and being really bold and um, and being willing to, to share your truth. Because I know that some of these journeys can be really you know, filled with a lot of emotion and, and a lot of strife. Um, and, uh, and thank you for being really honest, um, and, and be willing to, to share everything that you have, have experienced and how you've, how you've turned it all on its head for, for positive, for positive things. Certainly. And thank you so much for creating this space to do so and for having me. I really appreciate that. Of course. So have a great one and be well, everyone.